All right, here we go. Let's get into the Word of God. Great faith. This is our theme for our conference. And I, I think God wants to stir in us faith. Amen? And, and just, just a little bit of encouragement. As a church, and, and I, I would say this, in the Hayes household and probably in your household, things have gotten slim over the last year. We, we've, had, we've seen economic changes. How many of you feel it when you go to the grocery store? Or you feel it when you go to the gas pump, or right, your, your rent's going up, your insurance, it seems like everything is going up. If you try to build something now, it's three or four times what it used to cost. We, I know a pastor in Austin that, that was, they had building plans they were going to build before uh, COVID hit. Everything got delayed for two years during COVID, and now they've gone back to build that building. It's costing them four to five times what the estimates were in 2019. It's crazy. But we're, we're feeling that. Things, things have been shaken, right? And sometimes things get tight, right? But that's good. I, I don't know who said this. It's a saying that, that goes around. But, but you know that when you get down to nothing, that God is up to something. How many of you have heard that? And, and it's really true. We, we as a church have seen our funds Diminish, and over last year we saw our, our, our funds diminish. Re- really got close to nothing in, in a couple of moments. But but I want to say this. I want to say this to encourage our faith. And, and I said this last Sunday. Steve, is the number on our mortgage is it like 160 that we paid over the last year or so? Is that right? Yeah, about 150, 160 thousand dollars that we've been able to pay off of our mortgage. That's incredible. Amen. We replaced all of the broken glass this year on our building, $1,700 to, or, or thereabouts to, to do that. We had uh, a canvas awning that was ripped and torn up. We were able to take care of that. The company actually gave us more than what we, uh, they, they bid for. They've taken care of us. At one after another, we can see these things. We're already seeing $1,500 coming towards a van. We were able to do a, a kid's ministry remodel. We've been able to do incredible things in lean times. And I, and I think that part of what God wants to work in us is, is, is just coming to a place of trust. Having absolute confidence in him. No matter what we're seeing, no matter what our circumstances are looking like, that, that we have our eyes on Jesus. And I believe that when we do that, we will see great things. Amen? There, there's a lot of things moving in the world. The conflict. Um, you, you look at our American politics. We, we, in my lifetime, I've never seen a more unstable world. But really, it all fits into the context. If you read Luke 21 of what everything that Jesus said was going to happen is happening. Right. So we can't be surprised. Everything's happening that he said was going to happen. And when, when you read that, that passage, it, it's sandwiched in, in between a lot of encouragement. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't fear. These things are going to happen, but they're for the purpose of God. Jesus sandwiches all of the forecast of all of these things that, are, that we're currently seeing, whether it be nation rising against nation, or wars and pestilences, earthquakes, famines, all of the things, the economic downturn, all the things that we're experiencing. Jesus knew that, and he spoke encouragement to us. Right? No matter what we're seeing, no matter what's moving in the earth, we need to take 
courage. And we need to keep our eyes. And, and he actually closes out that passage in, in Luke 21. He says, when you see all of these things happening, look up. Because your, your redemption, your deliverance, your salvation is drawing near. Amen? And I want to encourage you to look up. Because when you look up, you don't have to worry about the president. When your eyes are on Jesus, you don't have to worry about those wars and the conflicts that are moving. When, when we have our eyes focused on Jesus and his purpose and his kingdom, those things just fade. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Great faith. Let's, let's talk about it. There's a statement that I, I read this week, and I love it. It's from Elizabeth Browning. It says, earth is crammed with heaven. I just love that sentence right there. That's, that's just weighty. Earth is crammed with heaven. Every bush is aflame with the fire of God. But only those who see take their shoes off. The rest just pick berries. Isn't that good? God is, I believe that. In every bush that, that we, we come across, God wants to encounter us. God is all around, and God is working, and God is moving. We, we sang about it a, a minute ago. Even though we can't see it, you're moving. God is working all around us. Amen? Everybody take a deep breath. Are you thinking about breathing now? You are now, but you weren't a minute ago, were you? But your lungs were working. Your organs are working, and you haven't thought about it all day long. And just like that, God is working. We may not see it. We may not be cognizant of it, but God is working. Amen? i got to read that statement. I love this. Earth is crammed with heaven. Every bush is aflame with the fire of God, but only those who see take their shoes off. I love that. Great faith. Hebrews 11. I want to read the entire chapter, but for the sake of time today, we won't do that. We might do it next weekend. Hebrews chapter 11. This is in, if, you, if you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, go read it. It's absolutely incredible. One of my favorite scriptures, passages of scripture in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 11. It's the, the chapter of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. And before we get started here, about faith, I want to make a couple of statements, okay? We don't have faith in faith. Faith is not some supernatural force. You know what we have faith in? God. The Bible says have faith in God. Faith is a confidence in God. Faith is a rest and a trust in God. Amen? It's not some kind of supernatural force. It's a surrender. It's a yielding. And it's an absolute, complete trust and confidence in our God. Have faith in God. Amen? Amen? Our faith wavers. Anybody have wavering faith? Anybody know what can, you can relate to that, that man? I've heard Steve shared this scripture with me one time. He's like, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. You remember that guy in the Bible? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Our faith wavers. The size and consistency of your faith isn't what produces great faith. The Bible says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, if you, can, if you can just put an ounce of confidence in God, you'll see great things. 
Simple faith is great faith. Just simply believing and trusting God. Amen? Hebrews 11 and 1, it says, Now faith, and we're going we're to read a few selected verses here in this, this chapter today. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What are we not seeing? Think about it. What are we not seeing? What's moving that we're not aware of? Faith helps us to see the purpose of God. Faith helps us to see what God is up to. Faith doesn't set its eyes on situations and circumstances. Faith is not governed by economies. Faith is not governed by feelings, emotions. Faith is not governed by what is moving in the earth. Faith is not governed by human governments. The Bible talks about Abraham, and it says, against hope, he believed in hope. And he called those things that be not as though they were. That's in Romans chapter 4, another great passage of Scripture about faith. Amen? Faith looks at sick bodies and says, healed. Faith looks at empty bank accounts and sees provision. Faith looks at lost children and believes for salvation. Amen? Faith. Against all hope, we believe in hope. And so because of that, because of this confidence, right, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Because we have this hope, because we have this faith, this confidence, we can look at our unsaved children and and do what Abraham did, call those things to be not as though they were. We can say, "My, my son is saved, my daughter is saved. We can look at sick bodies and say, I am healed, amen? We can look at difficult financial situations and say, my God is moving, and I know that somehow he's going to make a way. That's what faith will do for us, amen? So stop looking at situations. Stop looking at circumstances. Stop looking at all of the difficulties. Stop counting the odds. Did God say it? Do you have a word that you can stand on? Then hold on to it. Amen? Don't look at what you can see. There's something greater beyond beyond what we can see, beyond the realities that we know. Amen? Amen? going back to the kingdom of heaven, we've been talking about that. The the kingdom of heaven supersedes everything on earth. God's plans and purposes move beyond human capabilities, beyond earthly knowledge. We have a God. We've been singing about it. We were shouting about it a minute ago. We were rejoicing and declaring it a minute ago. We serve a God of miracles. Amen? Amen? And so we're not limited by simply what we see. Hebrews 11 and 3. By faith we understand, listen, to the world, that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made with things that do 
appear. Do you realize that before God spoke, there was no matter in this universe? God created everything that we know. Yeah, you, go, go stand. Have, have, have you stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon? Have you ever climbed Pike's Peak? Have you ever stood on the ocean shore and just wondered at the glory of God? I mean, just think about the, 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 the creation, the, everything that we know in creation, in this earth. And then you think about all of the, the moon, the planets in our galaxy, and all of the galaxies that we know. There, there are millions or billions. They, they, they compute these numbers that don't even make sense to me about how big our galaxy is. God created that with the spoken word. Out of nothing, he formed everything that exists with his spoken word. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. God created everything out of nothing with the power of his word. That's the God that we serve. If God can create all of these galaxies, this universe that we live in, if he can do that with his spoken word, do you think it's too difficult for him to step in and save somebody? Do you think it's too difficult for him to show up and heal? Right? I'm trying to stir a little bit in us this morning of faith. If God can create all that we know with one word, how much confidence should we have in our God? Do we really think that God's arms are too short to reach down out of heaven and heal or save or deliver or intervene in any of the affairs of, of humanity? Our God is big enough. Amen? So it, it, it may, maybe it's easy for you to believe for your, your teenager or uh, uh, your, your brother-in-law or your wayward brother, maybe that's kind of, you know, okay, I can, I can grasp that. How about a nation? Do you think God, do you think America is too far gone for, for Jesus to save? How about the nations of the earth? We're going somewhere. I want to stir something in you. Let's look at Hebrews 11 and 7. It says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned, of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and being heir of righteousness, of the, the heir of righteousness of the, of the righteousness, which which is according to faith. So God warned Noah, it's going to rain. I wonder if Noah's first words was, What does that mean? You realize it had not before the flood. It had not rained upon the earth. What did Noah do? God, God says, I'm going to cause it to rain and I'm going to flood the entire earth. What did Noah do? He moved in obedience. Faith will cause you, when God speaks, to move in obedience even when it doesn't make any sense. Right? I mean, really, does it make sense to go out in a field and build a boat? 120 years of building. Think about that. He worked on that for 120 years without a drop of rain falling. Can we move in that kind of obedience? When God says it, we're willing to step out, even though we've never seen anything like it yet, but God's spoken it. That's, that's faith. Hebrews 11 and 8 
It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, check this out, not knowing where he was going. In Genesis, God says, go to a place that I will show you. Do you know that God never shows you where you're going until you start taking some steps? Noah, or Abraham was, was, was in Ur of Chaldees. So he was basically living in Beverly Hills. One of, the, one of the most prosperous cities in his time. And opulence and comfort. They believe that, that he was probably wealthy at this point. He had everything comfortable. And God says, get up and go to a place that you've never seen. And I'll show you when you get there. And you're going to dwell in tents. Again, I say it. God rarely ever shows us where we're actually going before we board the airplane. He shows us as we're arriving, this is the place where I've called you. That's the way God works. It takes faith to follow God, period. Amen? There's, somebody said this. The, the way that you spell faith is R-I-S-K. And it's true. If there weren't risk involved, we wouldn't need faith, would we? I've driven all over the United States. I think I've been to 44 states. Back when I started, I had to use paper maps. Anybody know what those are about? If you don't know, let me see. If, you don't know, if you've never used a paper map, raise your hand. Let me see how many. Uh, there we go. We got some, we got some generation uh, or some uh, Gen Z and Gen Y in here. There you go. So I started out with those paper maps. But here, here about the last 15 years, I've been following the little blue arrow. You know what I'm talking about? I've gotten to 44 states not knowing where I was going. Put an address in your phone, mount it to your dashboard, and follow the blue arrow. You're driving by faith, not knowing where you're going. That's the way it is. I've gone down highways, not even an idea of which highway I'm getting on next. I'm just, that's what it's like to follow God. Let's be honest. We put a whole lot of faith in Google. I mean, some of y'all are Googling your theology these days. Like, what do I believe about this? Healing. What does the Bible say about healing? Let's Google it. And you just believe whatever Google tells you. Do we put more faith in the blue arrow? Do we put more faith in Google than we put in God? Are we willing, when God says it's time to go, to step out not knowing where we're going? That's what faith is. That's what God, the, the life that I believe that God has called us to. And I, I think we, we need to learn to see that in every one of those situations, in every one of those circumstances of God's calling, there is fruitfulness on the other side of it. I, I believe that with everything on the inside of me. Here's, here's another statement. that The, the natural mind seems, sees only how many seeds are in an apple, but faith sees how many apple trees are in the seed. 
Isn't that true? Do you see how many, how many trees are in the apple seed? Is that the kind of faith that you have? I believe God wants to stretch us. I, I believe that's where God wants all of us to be. The understanding that when, when we willingly and obediently put an offering in an offering plate to, to, to move the church's a, a mission forward or to sow to a missionary, to send somebody somewhere, that when we're doing that, that there is a whole forest of harvest that's going to come from that. We, we sowed a few dollars about three years ago towards the crab trees in that ministry, and it's bearing fruit. How many mothers will be saved? How many babies will be saved? And how many of those babies will go on maybe to be preachers to the nations, maybe to be missionaries, maybe to advance the kingdom and the purpose of God? How many lives will they impact? Can we have faith to see beyond the moment that we're living in to the great purpose of God that's out ahead of us? God wants us all to be a people of faith. One last verse from Hebrews, Hebrews 11 and 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently see him. Christian and I were having a conversation uh, this week, and, and, and I made this statement to him that whatever we believe about God determines how we're going to live our life. Whatever you believe about God determines everything about the way that you're going to live your life. If you believe that God is just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can zap you, you're going to cower and hide. If you believe that God is limited, you'll never become a giver. Brother Van used to tell me all the time, he said, if, if, if you believe that God is stingy, you'll never be a giver. See, what we believe about God determines the way that we live our lives. Do we believe that he is? He is what? He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. He is Jehovah Rophi, the God who will heal. He is Jehovah Nisi, the banner that goes before us. He is Jehovah Imkadesh. He is Jehovah Shitkanu. Do we believe that about him? Do we believe that he is El Elohim, the, the most high God? Do we what do we believe about God? We must believe that he is. Right? And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? Let that be your perspective of who God is. Our God is a rewarder. If I, if I lift my eyes to Jesus, he's going to reward. If I'm seeking him and his purpose and his kingdom, he's going to reward me. He's going to bless me. He's going to prosper me. If, you, if that's your outlook on who God is, it, that, that will be what governs the way that you live your life. And you will, if you see God as a reward, as a giver, if you have that understanding that every good and every perfect gift comes down from God, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. There's no variableness with God. You've got a lot of variableness. I've got a lot of variableness. I wake up feeling one way in the morning, and by lunch I feel another way. Right? We're shifty. We're inconsistent. We're unreliable, but God is not. There is no variableness with him. There is no shadow of turning in him. He's consistent and steadfast and faithful and dependable. We can trust our God. Amen? Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. Well, the economy. Yeah, the economy, but my God. 
Well, the government, yes, the government, but my God. Well, my neighbors, yes, your neighbors, but my God. Well, the school system, yes, the school system, but my God. Right? Well, religion, yeah, religion, but my God. What are we looking at? What do we have our eyes on? What, where have we placed our hope? In what have we put our confidence? I believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek. I believe he's a good God. I believe that's his nature. I believe it's, that is everything that he consists of is good. And every intention that he has for me is good. And he will withhold no good thing from me. He has a plan for me to prosper me, to favor me, to bless me. And sometimes I doubt that, and it affects the way that I live. It will make me timid to lay hands on the sick. It will make me timid to give. It will it'll make me timid not to share my testimony, right? I remember when COVID came out, the first person that I personally knew that had COVID was, was Kermit Juzak. That's Pastor Kurt's dad. The first person that I personally knew that got diagnosed with COVID. And he, he had it bad. They were talking about putting him on the vents. And before he went to the hospital, one day we were in, in the church office. Pastor Kurt said, do you want to go with me to pray for my dad? And I said, yes. But inside I was thinking, no. Because all I was hearing was all of the horrible things about COVID. All the media hype. And I didn't know what it was. So on the outside I said yes. But in the inside I was like, oh, I don't want to go. And we suited up, we put, our, we, we put aprons on, we put gloves on, we put masks on, we took a bottle of uh, a disinfectant with us so that when we got back to the car, we scrubbed each other down. We were gonna make sure. When we waver in our faith, we don't live the way that God intends for us to live. You know that Spurgeon, during the bluebonic bubonic plague in London, 2,000 people were dying every single day. And you know what Spurgeon did? He went and laid hands on the sick. He continued to minister. Today is one of the most prolific, historic preachers of his era. Why? Because of the boldness of his faith. Men and women of God, faith-filled men and women of God do great things for God. Daniel said it this way, those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. God wants to stir great faith in us. Why? Because we have a great purpose. God's called us to the Great Commission. I believe in the Great Commission. I, I believe it has to be the focus of the church. If we're not existing for the Great Commission, we're wasting our time. Right? I think setting biblical prophecy... It's okay, we can learn from it, all that kind of stuff, but I think that when we get hyper-focused on that, we get away from the purpose of God, which is declaring the gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the earth, right? We can get into healing ministries and deliverance ministries and all of these things, and they can take us, take it. when we get hyper-focused on these certain things, it takes us away from the purpose of God, which is to declare the, the, the message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus to the nations of the earth. We have people that are hyper-focused on healing, miracles, signs, and wonders. The Bible says an evil generation seeks after signs. I don't go seeking them. You know what I do? I go doing what the Bible says. It says to go and preach. And as you go, you know what happens? The signs follow after. We're not seeking them. They are following after us. So I believe that whenever we, get, we can get hyper-focused on doctrines and all kinds of things, teaching, all kinds of stuff, and when we get 
focus on teaching, you know what happens? We become an ingrown hair on the body of Christ. Ingrown hairs will swell. A church might grow, but that doesn't mean it's healthy. Right? Teaching us to lay a foundation so we can go and do what, the, what, what we're called to do, which is preach the gospel to the nations of the earth. That's why the church exists, for the purpose of the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1 Verse 4 through 8, I want to read to you this. And this is, I don't know if you knew this, but all of the great, the great Commission is all four of the Gospels. It's also in the book of Acts. We're going to read it right here. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And that's still being asked today. Is the temple going to be rebuilt? Is the red heifer going to be there? All these types of things. That I don't know. But let me tell you what I do know. For sure, without, without a question. All right, it's in, it's in the Bible. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations as a witness. And then the end will come. Maybe they will build the temple. Maybe there will be a red heifer. Maybe they will do sacrifices. I don't know. But I tell you what I do know is I have an obligation there is an onus upon me as a disciple of Jesus Christ to preach this gospel to everyone who will listen, to help to fulfill this great commission, to be actively involved in making sure that this message spreads from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. They're asking, when, when is the kingdom going to be established? When, when are you going to? I don't know. But I do know I have a mission. I have an assignment. Most Christians don't, can't grasp this. We have been given an assignment from God, and that is to declare this glorious message that Jesus Christ came to die and to, to save mankind from their sins. That's the hope of the gospel, and we're here to declare it. So he says, go wait, and you will be uh, filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They ask the question, verse 6, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Here's, here's the answer I'm going to give you. If you ask me any of those types of questions, here's the answer I'm going to give. The same answer that Jesus gives right here. He says to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. There are mysteries all around those timetables. That, that is why one godly man will say this and another godly man will say this about prophetic timetables. Because the reality is it's in the hand of God. I've, I've taught on prophecy, a biblical prophecy. I've taught end times, eschatology. I've taught those things, but I don't spend a whole lot of time there. When every time I teach them, you know what? I, I focus on Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus and his kingdom. What is the eternal purpose of God for the church on planet earth? We are here to fulfill a mission. So my answer, if you're going to ask me any of those questions, when is that going to happen? I don't know. It's in the hand of the Father. Same answer Jesus gives right here. But then he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
and you shall be witnesses. Martus is the word, which is where we get our word martyr. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I, I draw from that picture that the Holy Ghost is meant for more than giving us goosebumps. There's more intent to the Holy Spirit than to make us run laps around the church. And I've been there. I've had the goosebumps. I've ran around the church. It's for more than just speaking in tongues. Been there. And I want it all. I don't mind feeling the Holy Ghost. I don't mind the Holy Ghost goosebumps. I don't mind that, that when that feeling comes on you and you got to jump or take a lap or whatever because you, you just can't contain I don't mind any of that stuff. But we miss the greater significance when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will have power. For what purpose? And, and what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? There's all kinds of debate and argument over it. I know for sure one thing. It's the, the evidence is power. And I believe power to preach. Power to proclaim. Amen. I, I, we had a, a Bible study on the book of Acts Wednesday night. And I, I went from teaching the book of Acts to, to just preach all out preaching on our, our responsibility to go and preach the word. Because all through the book of Acts, we see that that was the activity of the early church. Everywhere that they went, they preached the word. And you know what the result was? Multiplication. Two, two themes in the book of Acts. Preach the word. It's in almost every chapter of the book. And multiplication. Every time they preached the word, you know what happened? The Bible says that the word of God increased. In other words, it spread all, all over the, the, the town or village or region that they were ministering in. The word of God spread. And it says the, the, the uh, disciples multiplied. And then it even says that a lot of the priests became obedient to the faith. Those Jewish priests that were hearing the message about Jesus were coming to salvation because they would believe in the Messiah through the preaching of those disciples that they would go about. And we looked at one passage on, on Wednesday night that says that they went and gossiped. The, the Greek word gossipia is actually the word when it says they preached. It says they went and gossipia. They went and gossiped about the good news of Jesus. Right? So guys and gals, we're good at gossip. Let's take that gift that God has given us and, and use it for his glory instead of the destruction of our fellow man. Right? You love to gossip about sister so-and-so. Gossip about your coworker. Gossip about your classmate. Why don't we go and gossip about Jesus? Why don't we go and spread this message about what he has done everywhere that we go to everyone that we meet? Amen? There, there's a purpose for us, and it's the Great Commission. All right, and I'm moving somewhere with this. Here's the reality. When we respond in obedience to step out and fulfill the Great Commission, you know what we're going to meet? Great opposition. Great persecution. Acts chapter 8, let's look at this. And I want to say this, the early church was amazingly fruitful. There are several instances in, in, in the book of Acts where thousands of people all at one time come to faith in Christ. We, we see that in one instance it says that the, the, the disciples turned the city upside down with their message. The message of the gospel is incredibly effective. But the message of the gospel we met with opposition. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. 
Saul was consenting to his death. This is right after the, the, the stoning of Stephen. And that time a great persecution rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered, check this out, went everywhere preaching the word. Let me sum that up for you. This is the stoning of Stephen. And at that, at that time, it says, a great persecution arose against the church. They were going into Christians' homes and dragging them out. They were beating Christians. They were murdering Christians because of their obedience to Jesus to go and preach the gospel. But look at what happens. These, these Christians, there was such strong persecution, they had to flee Jerusalem. And I love what that verse says. It's, it's uh, verse 4 right there. Therefore, those who were scattered, these, these, these Christians who were scattered from Jerusalem, went everywhere preaching the word. That was the result. You know what happens when the enemy opposes the gospel? The gospel spreads more rapidly. The gospel spreads more effectively. Every time that the enemy persecutes the church, it's like throwing gasoline on the fire. Amen? So what's the point, Pastor Chad? God's called us to a commission, a great commission. Amen? And, And I believe it is a great commission. And if this mission is really significant and if it's the mission of God, no plan that we have, no goals that we have, no strategy that we have is too radical or too big. No effort. I believe that throwing our life into this, towards this, is worthwhile. I believe it's the only thing of matter, the only thing of significance on planet Earth is advancing God's kingdom to the nations of the earth. That verse in, in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 will be fulfilled. That this gospel of the kingdom would be preached to all of the nations of the earth. That's a great call. And it's the call to the church. It's the call to every one of us as disciples. We are called to take part in fulfilling this commission. And we need faith for it because there is going to be great opposition. There's going to be great resistance. Governments will resist us. Religious folks will resist us. People will resist this. The, the heathens will resist it. There's going to, when you go to declare the gospel of Jesus, you're going to be met with resistance. It requires faith to fulfill this. It requires faith. Let me tell you how much confidence I have in the gospel. There's coming a day And if it happens before the coming of Christ or not, I do not know. But I know this, the scriptures lay this out clearly, that there's going to be a day when the Palestinians embrace the Jews. Did you know that? That's what the gospel is going to do. 
There's going to be a day, the Bible says, when the Egyptian, the Assyrian, and the Israelite will make a compact. They will make covenant. They will make agreement together. That's what the power of this gospel is going to do. I believe that this gospel is going to be preached to all of the nations of the earth. And yes, the most hostile of them. The fastest growing churches are in the most hostile nations. Iran is the agitator behind Hamas, the ones going after Israel right now. They are the most aggressive against the purpose of God, probably on planet Earth today. You know where the fastest growing church on the planet Earth is today? It's in Iran. That's a fact. That's a fact. I believe in the message of this gospel. Church, we've got to get faith that this, this mission that, that the Lord has assigned us to is going to be fulfilled. We are not here just to hold on and hang on until Jesus comes back and hope that the devil doesn't beat us up in the meantime. No, we are here to advance an agenda. An agenda. We are here to push back darkness. We are here to declare the gospel of the kingdom of our God has come to planet on earth to liberate all of mankind. We're here to declare that message. Church, I want us to have faith in this, that the same ministry that Jesus had, we now have. The Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, and now he has given unto us this ministry of reconciliation. We have the same ministry that Jesus had. Jesus suffered opposition everywhere that he went, but he saw fruit everywhere that he went. Do you know why? Because the Spirit of God was on him. I have no confidence in me. I have no confidence in you. I have no confidence in Return Church or any church. You know what I have confidence in? The Holy Spirit that's in me, the Holy Spirit that's in you, the Holy Spirit that's in this church, the Holy Spirit that I believe wants to empower Return Church to go out and do the work of God. Folks, I've got great faith for, this, for the purpose of this church. Not because of you, not because of me, but because I believe that the Spirit of God is moving in the earth and he wants to save men. He wants to extend the kingdom of God throughout the earth. I believe that God wants to use this church to plant churches. I believe that God wants to use this church to send people. I believe that one day we're going to send people to the Middle East out of this church. I believe that one day we're going to plant churches in this city and maybe even this nation and maybe even other nations that God is going to use us to do that. I want to stir faith in you today. Can we get vision? Yeah, economy's rough. Yes, situations are rough. Yes, governments are crazy. Yes, the world is shaking. Yes, all of that. But do we have more confidence in what we're seeing or what's unseen? Do we have more confidence in the circumstances and difficulties than we do in the power of our God? I've got a whole other section that I really want to preach. But you guys look like y'all are ready for the Golden Corral. I can sense it. If I keep preaching any longer, you're going to try to eat me. Can I, I won't preach it much. Can I read it? Let me read it. Isaiah. Here, here's the idea. We've got the same ministry that Jesus had. I believe that. Christ is in us, reconciling the world to the Father. I believe that. Jesus stepped into the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, 
30 years old. He steps into the synagogue, and the rabbi there recognizes, a rabbi is in our midst. And the custom was whenever a rabbi came into town, another rabbi would allow him to stand in the pulpit, so to speak, and teach the word of God. And so the scroll of Isaiah was brought to Jesus, and he read the passage in Isaiah chapter 61. And he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And he only read uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, I'm sorry, no, verse 1. He didn't, he didn't read verse 2. But he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And he stopped there. Because his ministry was about to unfold before Israel. And this passage was becoming a reality. What was Jesus' ministry? Preaching good tidings to the poor. Those who are broken in spirit. Not to those who are monetarily poor necessarily because there's a lot of rich, rich folk that are broken spirited. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And the Bible says he closed the book. He read that and declared, this is being fulfilled right now in your midst. So that's a part of Jesus' ministry. That Now, listen, if you go on to read verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What is the acceptable year of the Lord? We're living today in the acceptable year of the Lord. It's this church age that we live in. From the resurrection to the return of Christ, we're living in a season called the acceptable year of the Lord. This is where anybody can come. All those who are weary can come and find rest. All those who are broken can come and find healing. All those who are lost can come and be saved. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. And then you read down in verse 2, and then it talks about the day of the vengeance of our God. There is a day coming when God is going to judge both the quick and the dead, those who are alive in him and those who are not. We are all going to stand before God in, in a judgment. That day is coming. I believe as a church, we have the obligation to declare this message. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. There is a day coming, which will be the day of the vengeance of our God. Judgment is coming to the righteous and the unrighteous. Come into the ark. Come and find the safety of a Savior. We have a responsibility of a ministry to declare that. And then to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I believe this is a part of our calling. The anointing of the Holy Spirit that rests upon us is to do this work. And then lastly, they shall rebuild the ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. I believe this, that the righteous saints of God are going to raise up cities that have been demolished. Maybe Gaza. The saints of God have this honor. They're, the anointing that Jesus is talking about 
to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to declare the opening of the prison door, the breaking of the chains, the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God, joy for those who mourn in Zion, beauty for ashes. That's the ministry that we have. And the last part, to restore destroyed cities and families. The point of this message today is, church, open your eyes to see who we are. And that the reality of God's kingdom is here on planet Earth. And we miss countless opportunities to do the work of God that he's called us to do to see the kingdom of heaven established on planet Earth. I think it's worthwhile at this point just to reread our opening statement from this Elizabeth Browning. Earth is crammed with heaven. Every bush is aflame with the fire of God. But only those who see take off their shoes. The rest just pick up the berries. Saints of God, let's stand together. Are you living in this life just picking berries? Are we so blind and deaf to the purposes of God that we're not really even living what God intends for us to live? a beautiful lady. I got to hear her speak one time. Her name was Vesta Mangan. She's gone to be with the Lord. She was an old United Pentecostal Church pastor's wife. She had the hair bun. I went to hear her testify at a church in San Antonio because they didn't believe in women preachers, but she could testify. And man, she testified in a glorious way. Best preacher I've ever heard. One of the best preachers I've heard, even though they didn't believe in women preaching. But I'm going to tell you, she preached the paint off the walls. Vesta Mangan, she lived in Alexandria, Louisiana. Faithful pastor's wife. And she woke up every single day. And she would not rest until she had the opportunity to lead somebody to Jesus. She would get out and go all over Alexandria, Louisiana every single day and find a way to manifest heaven on earth. I'm going to bring Jesus and his kingdom to somebody. Church, we're here for a purpose. How many of you believe we can fill two busloads of people every Sunday morning? Good. There's some faith. How many of you believe we can plant another church? There's some faith. How many believe that one day maybe we'll have a, a, a place where we're training people for ministry? There's some faith. How many believe that we can send missionaries? How many of you believe that one day, hey, this is a hard one, we can have a six-figure budget for missions? Amen. We can do it because we've got a great God. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. 
that I am a man that is absolutely crazy. My wife calls me driven sometimes. But I've been around too many precious saints of God. Let me, Ruth Bell. Nola Warren, these precious ladies that taught my missions class and to hear their testimonies of Japanese coming to know Jesus when they were missionaries in Japan or entire villages in the, in, in the uh, mountains, the Tepewan Indians, entire villages coming to know Jesus Christ. I am crazy because I have seen the power of the gospel. When I hear the testimony about a mama who makes her mind up to keep her baby and ends up getting baptized in, the, in, in Del Rio, Texas. That's why I do everything that I do, period. For 26, 27 years, I've done whatever I have to do. I've been a tent maker. I've been a ranch hand. I've been a... a carpenter, a builder, everything I could do to support my addiction to ministry. I'm addicted to it because there ain't no high like experiencing people come to Jesus. Church, I want to stir in us faith for the purpose of God. You're not here to pick berries. You are here on planet earth to see kingdom come. You're here to take Jesus to your neighbor, to your co-worker. You might be here to go on a short-term mission trip. Maybe there's somebody sitting on our pews today that's going to be that first missionary that we as a church send. I want to stir. I'm going to tell you, this, this week is important for us as a church. This week matters. If you can be here, do everything you can to be here Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Bring everybody you can. We're going to turn people on to the Great Commission. And we're all participants. These missionaries aren't the only ones that are participating in the Great Commission. We're all called to be participants. You may never go to another nation, but you can go across the street and knock on the door. You can go across the office and sit down in the cubicle with your coworker and share the word with them. We're all called to be a part of this. We can give, we can pray, we can sow, we can go. Every one of us. I'll never be content for us to be a church that says us four no more. We're going to have great church on Sunday morning and really teach really nice sounding sermons and we're going to go home feeling good and go to the Golden Corral. No, I want to provoke a people. Psalm 68, it's what got me off on preaching uh, on Wednesday night. I think it's Psalm 68, 11. The Lord gave the word and great was the company of those who published it. I'm looking at a great company of preachers. God's given us the word, and we get the responsibility as a company, as a mighty army, to go out and push back darkness with that word, to declare the gospel of Jesus and see lives transformed. The spirit of the Lord God is upon you. He's anointed you to preach the good news about Jesus to the brokenhearted to be chain breakers, to announce the opening of the prison door, healing for the brokenhearted, to go out into the ruins. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing to see Portland neighborhood 
raised and restored with the glorious gospel. Amen. Pastor Bill, Elizabeth, Scotty, all the team that goes out there every week, your efforts are not in vain. It's worthwhile. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've included us in your kingdom. I thank you that you have called us for such a time as this. I thank you for your great purpose and plan. It is moving throughout the earth. Despite what we see, despite opposition, despite news reports, Lord, we believe that your kingdom is winning, that the increase of your government, there is no end, that your gospel is being preached to the nations of the earth, and we're grateful. Lord, help us, Lord God, to be ambassadors, to be stewards of this message, to proclaim it everywhere that we go. Lord, let our lifestyle proclaim your glorious gospel. And Lord, let us be bold with our mouths to speak the truth of your word everywhere that we go. Anoint us, use us for your glory. Father, we thank you for it and we give you praise for it today. In Jesus' name, amen.